Well, hello, everybody. Good morning. It is great to see you guys. What a great month this has been. Honestly, I, I have been just having a blast. It has been so cool looking back at the last 30 years of grace and talking about the next 30 and, and just thinking about who we are, and it's been, it's been a blast. And I think probably one of my highlights for this whole series is all the archival footage that we've been able to, to put on our, like, social media and stuff. Have you guys seen it? Did you guys see the river dance thing? Dad crushing it with the river dance. Amazing. I don't know. Look it up. It's ridiculous. So I want to give props to my brother-in-law, Brian. He was playing electric guitar here. Uh, Brian was basically the, the guy doing all the deep digging in the archives. I kind of picture him like sitting in a room full of film reels, like Man in the High Castle style, just, but whatever. Like he, he found all that stuff, and it has just been so cool to think back on, on who we were and, and, and who we are uh, today. So if you're new to the series, if you're just coming in, we are looking at the books of First and Second Timothy, because in those books, the Apostle Paul is conveying some wisdom to his protege, Timothy, who's taking over leadership of the church in Ephesus. And he's, he's basically saying, look, this is a new generation. Uh, you're taking on, you're carrying on the torch from what, what I've taught you before. And so here are some things I want you to remember as you're moving into this next phase. And we are very much at a bit of a new beginning as a church. We're moving into a new phase. And so these words are very applicable to us. It's a perfect time to look back and to look forward. So today, as we, as we conclude this series, we're going to look at one of Timothy's probably most important or primary jobs in his role as, uh, as the leader of the church in Ephesus, and that was as a teacher. Timothy was a gifted communicator, and this was a significant role that he had to play. Now, in, in Ephesus, I've talked about this before, there was a lot of different dynamics that Timothy had to teach uh, through. For example, there was false teaching coming into the church. People were, were creeping in and, and saying stuff that was not quite true or, or completely opposed to the gospel, and he had to fight against that. And Ephesus was a really spiritual city. There was Artemis worship and, and witchcraft and all kinds of stuff. And so all of that, eventually, it found its way into the church. And so Timothy had to, had to teach uh, the truth. He had to teach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in a, in a very complicated time and a complicated place. He had work to do. So here's what I want to do. I want us to look and see what we can learn about teaching truth, about holding on to the gospel in a very complicated time. I think you're going to see it's, it's pretty relevant for us. So please grab a Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's going to be page 1002 in the house Bibles in the seat in front of you. And as you're turning, I'm just going to pray, if you wouldn't mind joining me uh, as we pray before opening the Word. Father God, thank you for the privilege of being able to worship together, to open your Word together, uh, and to, to learn from you. I pray in these next few moments that our hearts would be soft and attentive to you, uh, that we would hear the voice of your Spirit clearly. Uh, and I pray most of all, Father, that in these moments as we read your, your Word, that I would just disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. That's our prayer. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so 2 Timothy 3, in this, in what we're about to read, Paul is about to give a laundry list of all the things that are wrong in the culture, in the time, things that, are, that Timothy's going to have to deal with. So I'm just going to read this. He says this in verse 1 of chapter 3. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. 
They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends and be reckless and be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Okay, so let's stop there for a second. Basically, good luck with that, Timothy, right? This is a really intense list, and at first glance, when you look at this, and I I thought this as I was reading it, you kind of think that Paul's just being extreme to make a point, right? He's just, he's painting the picture of Ephesus as this like den of evil and corruption, and everybody's, everybody's selfish and messed up, and you think, okay, maybe he's just being extreme. This is, this is a technique he's using, but then if you go back and you actually look through the list and think about, okay, what are some of the specific things that he's saying, you realize, okay, this isn't actually all that extreme at all. And you know how I know that? Because you look at that list and it is describing America in 2021, isn't it? I mean, we Americans, we are selfish. We love ourselves. We love money. We seem to keep elevating boastful leaders. We're, we're ungrateful. We, nothing is sacred anymore. Tell you what, spend five minutes on Twitter and you're going to see we're cruel, right? We're cruel towards one another. In a lot of ways, this, this list is basically describing the world that we're living in. And I hate to say it, but it's not just the world like out there, in, in, like outside the walls of the church and the world. It's happening here too. This is describing our time, our culture, and even in some ways our church. This is some of the stuff that we deal with. We talk at Grace about how the credibility gap is growing, why people don't even want to consider following Jesus because of the way that some of his followers have been acting. Well, this is a part of it. I mean, we in the church, Christians, we sure seem to love ourselves and we love our money and and we are prideful and, and how often do we slander one another? I mean, shoot, gossip in the church is like worse than anywhere else, sometimes it seems. And, and look at verse 5. If you ever seen this, ever, in the church, uh, people in the church who act religious but aren't actually living in the Holy Spirit's power at all, right? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I think you have. All branch, no fruit. That's kind of what we see. So, again, this list is actually not all that extreme. This is what Timothy was facing in Ephesus. And these are the exact same things that we are facing in the church today. You could say, as Paul says in verse 1, you could say these are difficult times. Those are difficult times that we're living in. So, okay, difficult times. How are we supposed to respond to this? How is Timothy, how is Timothy, this young guy leading this big church in Ephesus, how is he supposed to respond? Well, The key, I believe, in what Paul comes back to again and again is the fact that Timothy was a teacher. Like I said, he was a teacher. He had a job to do. Even though he was leading in a time of selfishness and slander and false teaching, Timothy's responsibility was to teach God's truth, right? His job was to help the gospel, the good news of Jesus, take root in the city of Ephesus, no matter what was going on around him. He had a job to do. And you know what? That's our job as well. doesn't matter how, how difficult the times are. We have a responsibility to help the truth take root. So how does Timothy supposed to do that? How are we? Well, let's keep reading because Paul begins to give an answer. Skip down to verse 14. He, he goes into some more details, and then he says in verse 14, with all this, this 
terrible stuff going on. He says, but you, Timothy, but you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep, keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Okay. Now, I know that's a lot, what I just read. That was a pretty long passage. There's a lot to unpack there. So let's, let's go back. Let's start back at verse 14 and talk about what Paul is saying. He starts by saying, you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. So he's reminding Timothy, yes, yes, things are difficult. Things are really hard, but you've been trained for this, right? You, you, you've been taught the truth. The way I put it a couple weeks ago is, is you have what you need to carry on right? You have what you need. You are equipped. In this case, verse 15, you have been taught the Bible since you're a child. You, you've been taught by your mother, by your grandmother, by, by me, Paul, right? He's saying, but you, you know the Holy Scriptures. You've got what you need. And for Paul, this is kind of the key to everything because these Holy Scriptures, as he calls them, the Bible, he says this. In verse 16, he says, all Scripture is inspired by God. Now let's talk about that phrase, because literally in the Greek, Paul is doing something kind of interesting. He's using a compound word that doesn't really exist anywhere else. It doesn't exist anywhere else in Scripture, and as far as we can tell, it may have been a word that he just made up. Uh, what he did is he took two different words and he stuck them together, and so the word is theonustos, theonustos, which means God breathed. Uh, theo means God, and pneuma means uh, spirit or breath. So he's basically saying God-spirited or God-breathed. What he means by this, what he's suggesting is that all of the Bible has God's spirit, his breath, breathing through it. And as I talk about a lot, the spirit is, is God's pers per, uh, his presence, his intentions, his persona personified in, in the world. That's God's spirit. And in Scripture, we see that, that presence and intention weaving through every page. What he wants Timothy to remember is that you have access to this. You have access to the Spirit of God. Now, when Paul talks to Timothy about the Bible, I just want to make something clear. Uh, they did not have the New Testament, okay? The New Testament was still being written. And so when he's talking about Scripture being God-breathed, he's talking about what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And, and the reason that he's able to say that it's God-breathed is because from Paul's perspective, every word of that holy, the holy scripture, the Old Testament, is pointing directly to Jesus. 
And, and I think it's clear to see that from Paul's perspective, it's the storyline of all of, of the history of Israel that leads to the person of Christ. And so he says it's God's Spirit which points to Christ. And now Jesus, we believe, is the, the, uh, uh, the self-revelation of God, the ultimate self-revelation of God. So in other words, from Paul's perspective and, and mine, if you want to know God, you look at Christ. If you want to know Christ— you look at the scriptures. That was Paul's perspective. And again, he, he was thinking of the Hebrew Bible. Today, we look at the New Testament and we realize that it does the exact same thing. It points back to Jesus. It testifies to him. And so we believe that the New Testament is just as inspired, just as God-breathed as the, the Old Testament. One of them testifies forward to Jesus. The other one testifies back. But both of them help us become like Jesus in our world so that the good news can take root, right? That's Paul's perspective. Again, Timothy, you've got this. You've got what you need to carry on. It's right there. So Grace Church, I would say the exact same thing is true for us. We've got everything we need because this book points to Christ. Points to Christ. Now this is interesting. I just wanted to throw this out there. Look at verse 17. This is verse 17. Paul says that God uses the Bible to prepare and equip his people to do what? to do every good work. Every good work. And that phrase, good work, that should probably ring a bell for you if you've been attending Grace for any length of time because it is the exact same phrase that Paul uses in probably the most quoted verse of, of the whole Bible here at Grace over the last 30 years, Ephesians 2.10, where Paul says, we are God's masterpiece. He, he created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he prepared uh, he planned for us long ago. Good things, good works, it's the same phrase in Greek, ergon agathon. It's, it's the same phrase. What he's trying to say is that Scripture not only teaches us, it equips us. It equips us to do what we're here to do. It, it, it helps us understand and carry on the mission of God. That storyline I was talking about, it's the same story that we continue to live out in our lives. To, to use our God-given, our Spirit-given gifts to heal this broken world. That is what Scripture equips us to do. So this is what Paul wants Timothy to remember. Timothy, remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You have what you need to carry on. In these very difficult times, Timothy, remember this. The Bible will guide you. The Bible will guide you. And this is a, an obvious fundamental truth for us as well at Grace. The Bible will guide us. This is our foundation. Now, as I think about the last 30 years of our church, this has been abundantly true for us. We've always relied on the authority of Scripture. We've been dedicated to this book. We, we, we allow these, these texts, these sacred Scriptures, as Paul says, we allow them to shape us, to guide us, to form us. And you know what? Nothing about that is changing in the next 30 years. That's still our approach. Our foundation is, is God's breath through these words. That's how, we, that's how we plan to move ahead. Now, with all that said— it is a bit of a different time now than it was 30 years ago. It's uncharted territory. And so I think it's important to look at what Paul says next to help give us a little bit of guidance, maybe some, some, uh, some reminders, maybe even a caution or two that we can remember, not just not whether to use the Bible or, or uh, you know, if to use the Bible, but how we use the Bible in, in our ministry. 
So let's talk about those cautions or those reminders. And the first one, the first one is this, be prepared. Be prepared. Now he says, be prepared to use them well. In, in verse 2 of chapter 4, Paul says, preach the word of God, be prepared. The, the word could also mean be persistent, be, be uh, dedicated, be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Whether the time is favorable or not. Now we, we don't, that phrase doesn't really mean much to us, but in Paul's day, he was referencing something specific there. Uh, in ancient Greece and ancient Rome, uh, everybody loved rhetoric, right? Rhetoric was like, was like the favorite thing of everybody. It, everybody wanted to gather to see the great minds of the age debate or teach or whatever. I mean, that, that was like entertainment. They didn't have Netflix. You'd go to the public square and listen to some guys with beards talk about stuff. That was how you had fun. And so rhetoric— the art of rhetoric was something that all the philosophers talked about and all the big teachers talked about and all the Caesars talked about. It was, it was a very specific art form. And there was a line of thinking in rhetoric that you would be the most effective if you knew your audience and you held back and you didn't speak, you stayed silent until the time is favorable. In other words, you wait until just the right moment, and then you speak, and everybody's like, whoa, how brilliant, incredible, I can't believe, right? So it's, it's all about knowing when to strike and staying quiet. That was, the, that was the mentality. Hold back until the time is favorable. But what is Paul saying? He's ignoring conventional wisdom here, and he's saying, no, Timothy, don't wait. Don't wait. No, you speak the truth, and you speak it now, whether, whether it's popular or not. The message of the gospel is way too important for you to wait to try to dazzle your audience. No, you speak. You get on it. You make it happen right now, whether it's favorable or not. Now, call me crazy, but I tend to agree with the Apostle Paul here. I do. We could, at Grace, we could preach in a way that is way more favorable for such a self-focused time. Believe me, we could. we could. We could dumb things down. We could keep things shallow. We could, we could avoid controversial topics. Look, I could preach in listicles every week. Five top tips to be happy out of the Bible or whatever. I could do that, but that's not what we do, is it? No, no, we go deep. We dig into the scriptures. In the last two years alone, we've done deep dives into the books of Acts and Micah and Philippians and Isaiah and Matthew and Exodus. Last February, we did a six-week series on the law of Moses, all right? That is not going to draw a crowd. That's not going to draw a crowd. And you know what we do? We talk about things that make people uncomfortable, you know that. You've experienced it. We talk about uncomfortable topics because we bring Scripture to bear on the, the realities of our ever-changing world. That's what we do, and that's why we talk about racism. That's why we talk about sexual abuse. And remember the Me Too sermon we had a while back? That's why we talk about anxiety and the environment and, and, and dangers of, the dangers of pursuing prosperity. This isn't fun. This isn't comfortable stuff to hear, but it's what Scripture has to say to our world today. We do this because all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful. Is useful. It can equip us to do the work that we are here to do. But guys, it can only do that if we are asking the right questions of it. Look, we are, we are the light of the world, right? 
We're the light of the world. We, we are meant to be the, the living embodiment of Jesus in our world. We are supposed, Christians are supposed to represent God's best intentions for humanity. That's our job. How are we ever going to do that if we're not making darn sure that we understand how he feels about the stuff that's going on around us? We've got to understand it if we ever want to look like his heart for the world. We've got to pay attention. We are going to seek the truth. I don't care if it's favorable, time is favorable or not. I don't care if it's popular or not. We're going to go there so that we can share the love of Jesus accurately in the midst of a changing world. Grace Church, we are, we are going to preach the word of God. We're going to preach the word of God. This is why we go deep. This is why we go there in our sermons, in our small groups, why we ask the hard questions and avoid shallow answers because it does not matter whether it's favorable time for these kinds of conversations. We are here to serve, not to dazzle. So let's be prepared. Let's be persistent in that. The second reminder, caution that Paul gives, I would, I would paraphrase it as this. Be wary. Be wary. Uh, be wary in where we seek the truth. Be wary. Be watchful. Be, be, be cautious. Be skeptical, even. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. Paul says, essentially, teach well, teach well, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. I love that phrase, right? Itching ears, isn't that so evocative? It, it, it's like people have got an itch for knowledge, and they're looking for somebody to scratch it, right? Someone's going to scratch my itch. And, and, and they're going to follow their own desires. This was happening in Timothy's world, and it's happening in our world today. People in our culture, in our time, in our church— are looking for teachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear. And let me tell you, in this age of algorithms and the internet, it is so easy to find them, isn't it? People who are going to tell you what you want to know. I mean, literally, you want to believe anything, any specific topic or, or, or opinion or viewpoint, if you want to believe a specific conspiracy theory, you can very easily find somebody, a few clicks, and you're going to find someone who seems to have a lot of authority who's going to tell you exactly why you're right right? That's just, that's the world that we live in. So be wary, guys. Be wary because confirmation bias is really, really powerful. Now, I know, I know some of you are thinking like, yeah, yeah, amen, Barry. Those other people really need to be paying attention to this. Nope, nope. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. We don't even see the invisible hands of these algorithms and how they just completely are pulling us pulling us along. Guys, we've got to be wary because there are so many influences out there that are frankly more powerful than we are if we're not paying attention. So we've got to be wary that there are teachers out there who want to tell you what you want to hear. So we've got to pay attention to what they're saying. Now look, I'm under no illusion that some of these teachers are going to want to teach you the Bible, right? That's, that's how it goes. There are thousands of better preachers than me who are out there on YouTube, on TikTok, right? They are, they are better equipped. They are more intelligent. They're more compelling, better educated, better dressed. That's an easy one. Better, better, better hairline. I mean, they're out there, and they, they are going to preach with more confidence and more authority than I could ever muster. 
All right, they're out there. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want you to hear this. If it's going to help you grow your faith, I want you to go listen to them. All right, I want you to make your faith your own. Don't just wait for Sunday mornings for me to teach you. Go, go find teaching that's going to sharpen you and grow you and make you strong. But if you're going to do that, I want you to be wary. Be wary because it's very easy to miss the fact that there are teachers telling you what you want to hear. Here's what I would like you to do. If you're going to listen to teachers out in the world, here's what I want you to do. Ask yourself, Am I moved by this message because it's genuinely from the Word of God, or is it because it's exactly what I've been looking to hear? Is this what I want to hear? Does it make me feel good, or does it make me look more like Christ? That's what I want you to think. Be wary of the teachers you listen to. And guys, that includes me, and that includes the rest of our teaching team. Be wary. You know what? I am so concerned these days so concerned with our cultural tendency to elevate and practically deify our leaders. It's so normal for us to do that, and I don't ever want that to happen. I don't ever want you to get to the point where you just listen to what I say and believe it as true just because I said it. I don't want that. I want you to wrestle and chew on the things that I'm sharing with. Wrestle with what I'm saying. Talk about it with other people. If you've got concerns or questions, I want to hear them. I want to work through them together with you. I am not infallible. And so I want to, this is a journey that we are on. Please be wary. Use your head. Most of all, listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't just believe something because someone sounded passionate when they said it, including me. That's what I'm asking you to do. Be wary. You do that. You do that, and I'll hold up my end of the deal. My end of the deal. I will do everything in my power to fulfill my calling in this community as a teacher like Timothy. I will dedicate my life to the study of this book. That's my job. I will work hard to apply the truth of Scripture to, to our world, to your world, your family's world with integrity with honesty, that is my pledge. And I will always, always submit myself to the spiritual authority of our governing board. And just as a reminder, our governing board is made up of you. They are not staff. They are our lay, lay elders who make up our governing board. I will always submit myself to their spiritual authority. I commit to do all of that. That's my job. But again, I am not infallible. None of us are. So please be wary don't just sit back in a time of itching ears. I want you to sit up and pay attention. That's what I'm asking. In verse 5, Paul tells Timothy, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Literally, he says, be sober. Be sober. Now, <laughs> as we've talked about the uncharted territory ahead, looking at the next 30 years, I'll tell you what, that's not super hard for me right now, to be sober about what's coming, I'm very sobered at the challenges ahead. These are difficult times. I'm sobered, but I want to tell you this. I'm not discouraged. I'm not discouraged. I'm not hopeless. In fact, I'm actually a little bit excited because I think there are some new opportunities for us to take this book and apply it to our world in a way that's going to transform lives. That's what excites me. We have what we need to carry on right here. We've got the God-breathed words of life. 
in our hands, at our fingertips. And guys, these words can change our world and they can change us in the process. This book will be our guide to be like Christ. So guys, I'm gonna just ask you to do this. Grace Church, will we together work at telling others the good news? Will we fully carry out the ministry God has given us? I hope we will, because guys, the uncharted road ahead of us is definitely scary. It's definitely uncharted, but our God will show us the way. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.